restaurant unstoppable episode three one four integrity you know for me i've never changed who i was uh what i believed in um the you know i never compromised on something um i kept my own integrity very high and i really didn't care if it got me what i was looking for or not because at the end of the day I feel like if I went against my integrity to get something, I would ultimately be unhappy because of that. So I never, never uh, went away from you know my own personal integrity. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only nine dollars a month to give you a little something extra as a restaurant unstoppable listener you can also get 50 percent off your first month all you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef michael ferraro chef are you feeling unstoppable today my man I absolutely am, Eric. Uh, oh, today's yeah. my birthday. I feel great. Oh, it's man. Be a good day. Congratulations. Happy birthday. I didn't know that. Thank you. That's great. Uh, man, we're, we're so privileged to have you on. This, <laughs> you're, you just don't stop working, do you? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a part of my birthday morning, That's Eric. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So, Chef Michael Ferraro graduated from the Culinary Institute of America in 2002. And in 2008, Ferraro took over the kitchen at the recently opened uh, New York City Soho restaurant Delicatessen. In 2009, Ferraro opened Mac Bar, a restaurant fully dedicated to gourmet macaroni and cheese. He also has been featured on many national TV networks such as CBS, ABC, NBC, VH1, Travel Channel, Spike TV's Bar Rescue, Iron Chef America, and Chopped on Food Network, and The Cooking Channel. Uh, Chef Ferraro has also appeared as a judge on Food Network's Beat Bobby Flay. Man, you're busy. I don't know how you do it all and uh, manage two restaurants, but we're going to find out. And uh, before we do, let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Um, I would say, you know, uh, it's all about working hard. Um, and of course I, I go by the motto of, uh, um, work hard and play hard because it has to, life has to be a balance. And, uh, you know, it, it took, uh, many years to be able to even do that because of course we're, 
we're climbing and we're climbing constantly to try to reach those goals. Um, but it's really important to have a balance in life. Um, so of course, you know, be passionate about what you do, um, strive and work as hard as you can, but, uh, also get some time for playing there and, and enjoy life. Beautiful. I love it. And I'm curious, when did you know for sure that a life in culinary life and hospitality was going to be your path? Can you bring it back to a moment, chef, where you just knew this was going to happen? Well, I mean, food has been in my, my life since I was a kid. I mean, uh, both parents from Southern Italy, um, came here and were in the restaurant business. And, I, I grew up in, you know, this, this now, you know, new first generation American family. And we had to do all the things that, um, you know, my parents did. And when it came to, you know, the food prep was making tomato sauce and making wine and having a big garden that you had to turn, you know, uh, every spring and, uh, burying fig trees and pickling. Wow. So these were chores, you know, as, as a kid, you know, uh, I was the kid where you came over to my house and there was sausage hanging in the basement That's and awesome. everyone's like, why, why is there sausage in your basement? Is there and any I was other like, way? <laughs> I, I was like, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but, um, so, you know, food has kind of been instilled in me since a very young age. And, um, my brother and my sister, uh, we all kind of had jobs in and out through, um, you know, the restaurant world, you know, through high school, et cetera. Um, when I was 19, I was going to regular college and, uh, my brother was, um, an occupational therapist and, and working at a rehabilitation hospital. And he took on a side project of like a bar and grill, um, in his college town where he graduated from in Hamden, Connecticut. And I was basically going to school and then driving to the bar and prepping the kitchen and bartending. Wow. And, um, things were going well. And, you know, my brother was like, so, you know, what, what are you going to do? And, uh, I was like, you know, I, I don't really know, you know, I don't know if this college, you know, the traditional college route is for me. <clears throat> and he was like, you know, you know, if you're going to do this, do it. And, uh, we, he was along with me the entire ride and applied to CIA. And, um, I wasn't even sure if I was going to get in. And I said, well, if I get in, that's it, I'm going to go. And then I got that acceptance letter, and and that was it from there. So I'm curious. Uh, you're 19 years old. You're going the tra- traditional route in uh, education. What were you studying before? Just general studies because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do yet. Okay. And 19 years old, you graduated from CIA at 20 years old. How the hell did you pull that off in one year? I was just <laughs> 20. I was just 21 when I okay. uh, when I graduated. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just bowled through the entire program, which 18 months, Wow. yeah, 18 month program. Yeah. Okay. And immediately started, uh, working afterwards, you know, and, and the CIA, um, you know, it's, um, the program is, it's not like normal college, you know, you don't get sp- regular spring break and all that mm-hmm. stuff. We're there on campus when every other college around is, is away somewhere warm and, um, <laughs> You know, I, I kind of continued my path like that. As soon as I graduated, uh, me and my roommate moved to the city. And, um, yeah, that was it. Hit the ground running. Started working two weeks two weeks after uh, graduation. Okay. So I'm curious. You're, you went through this process with your brother. Was he there alongside you while you were studying? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, my brother, you know, he's my older brother. He's he's kind of been like, you know, a mentor for me, okay. you know, my entire life. Ha- having, you know, Italian parents and my parents are were both older, you know, than the, you know, average average kid for my age for their um for their parents to be. Um so my brother was there for me and you know, he was kind of the one that all did it all first and uh I mean, right. to this day we're still great friends and I mean, I had some tough times along the way, you know, making very little bit of money. Um, when I first moved to the city, you know, my first job was working, uh, with the John George group and actually right down the street from my, um, restaurant. Now I I worked at Mercer kitchen and I was making $21,000 a year. And, you know, even though it was 2002, that still was not a lot of money to live in New York city. Um, so, you know, there's definitely been some hard times. There was hard times at CIA, you know, um, I remember um, my practical before I was headed to internship. Um, I just kind of psyched myself out, you know, when I failed it the first time. And the chef that was given the practical was not your your regular chef or whatever. And uh, he was really hard on me, really hard. I mean, to the point of um, telling me that I should rethink that if this is for me. Um, it's not for everyone. Don't waste my parents wow. money. Like the guy was hard, man. <laughs> what at that, that time, what did that do to you? How did that change you from that point on? Did that change you? Did that like, how did that affect you? Um, well, at first, I mean, I was devastated. I was 20 and my experience was different than others. You know, like, uh, a lot of my friends at school, they've been working at five star hotels, you know, as interns since they were 16 years old. For me, a lot of this stuff was new, basically just knowing, you know, the kind of rustic Italian and Italian American food. Um, so I did well, you know, the first half of CIA and then this practical came along and I remember like I was a roasted chicken and I was, I, uh, roasted chicken like a consomme or something and uh, the chicken was cold because I let it rest for too long and then I had butchered it too fast and then I was kind of in a hurry like I never worked on the mm-hmm. line like that before um, to kind of time everything out the right way and the food was cold and he, this guy just hammered me mm-hmm. and I got out of there and I was like oh geez like what what am I supposed to do then I went to go take it again and I got the same guy oh, man. and I was like, yeah. And Talk I was like, anxiety. You know, <laughs> I know. And I was like, you know what? I didn't really want to go through with this, with this guy because he was just so hard. You know, I don't know if his, you know, wife was breaking his balls really bad <laughs> that week and he, you know, tried to take it out on, you know, the kids at school. But, um, so I was like, nah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not going to take it with this guy. I'm going to take it with, with the next guy. And, uh, they were like, well, okay, if you're going to decide to do that the next time you have to, um, take it or you have to basically pull out the program, you have to pass or pull out the program. And here I was, I already, you know, did half of this program, you know, spent all the money, et cetera. And it came down to a practical. And, uh, the next chef was at the time was, I think it was the youngest certified master chef. Um, and I ended up getting a high pass the second time, which was, uh, I think it's 94 and above. Congratulations. And, um, yeah. And then, you know, that kind of sprung me back into it, but you know, it was just one of those things that it wasn't about ability. It was just more my nerves. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, like, you know, you gotta, you know, this, this guy was a lot older than me, you know, he was a chef at the CIA and the, the first chef and, um, 
yeah, he came down to me hard and really got in my head big time. And I was like, wow, like, what if I don't do this, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely a point where, you know, I was talking to my brother a lot and be like, oh man, what, what am I going to do here? Um, <laughs> any, but, any big lessons from that just experience you want to share with us to like summarize in like one or two sentences? Yeah. You know, um, I get a lot of, you know, young students in and, you know, people who are really striving for the goal and, you know, I don't really believe in, you know, beating them down like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of like, look, I'm going to tell you, you know, what you need to do to make this happen. And you need to work. You need to take it from there. Um, so I guess as me being a mentor now, it's that, you know, young people, I, I don't come down on them like that. Uh, but I do make it very black and white. Mm-hmm. And to not take that black and white um, um, criticism as, you know, don't take that to heart because I'm just trying to provide you the facts and, you know, what you need to be successful. Yeah. That's a great approach to having the end in mind, starting with the, you know, letting them know, like I might be hard on you. It's not because I'm trying to beat you down, but I'm trying to lift you up and this is what I expect from you. And this is where I'm trying to, to get you. I think that's, you know, sometimes if you just, if you paint the, the end picture, you know, and let them know from the beginning, like, Hey, I'm, I'm here for you, not against you. That's awesome. I love that. Um, yeah. so, okay. Then the next six years from the time you graduate CIA, uh, to the time you join, uh, the, the, the folks over at delicatessen, you worked at six restaurants. So what was going on during that time? Were you being intentional with where you were working? Were you just taking opportunities? Like talk me through that briefly, just like that part of your life. Uh, that was just basically just straight hustle. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a very tough time. <clears throat> um, that first year working for John George, um, I, like I said, I basically made no money, but I really learned how to be a seasoned line cook there. And that was the introduction of you want to make it in New York city. This is what it takes. I mean, I remember at that first job and now me and the chef of that restaurant are still friends to this day. It's funny. Wow. Um, all these years later, um, and my best friend had passed away okay. and I went to the chef and I said, uh, you know, chef, my, my best friend passed away and, um, you know, all the funeral and wake is in Connecticut and it was approaching the weekend and he was like, Oh man, I'm sorry, Mike. It's like, uh, you know, do you think you can go to just one of them because we're so short staffed and you know, what do you say? Here I am is my first job. I got this, you know, job in the John George company and I'm like, Oh, what, what am I going to say? And my friend was in the restaurant, his, he same deal, you know, he grew up in the restaurant industry and I said, Oh, Okay. So I, I went to the wake and then immediately went back and had to go to work. And that kind of th- jolted you into, wow, this is, this is what, I, what I got into. And, um, you know, my dad being in this industry said, look, if you're going to do this, you got to make sure that you do it on, you know, the highest level you can, you know, learn whatever you can and, and go for it. So, you know, making no money and having that quality of life, I was like, okay, I need to start setting goals for myself. And I did that. I mean, I left the John George group just because I couldn't afford to live. Um, if I didn't eat at work, it wasn't going to happen. So um, I couldn't do that. So then from there, I I moved on and I took a job at the Four Seasons um, Hotel in New York, which is Five Star Five Diamond. Um, the chef at the time, great guy. Um, he was at the time the highest um, 
uh, placing guy in Boku's door for the U.S. at the time. Um, so I was like, this is someone who I want to learn from. The hotel experience was different. Definitely not what I expected because of unions, etc. It was very, very different than coming from, you know, John George Group. Um, but I learned a lot of different things within the hotel and almost became stagnant there because it's a good quality of life. I was making more money, but the work ethic in union hotels in New York City are, is very different than a regular restaurant. So luckily, you know, I took I worked on all aspects of the hotel there, um, learned a lot and and moved on and uh, i say i learned a lot about service there just you know anticipating guest needs doing whatever we have to do to make the guest happy um so that was you know one one of the biggest things i took out of there and i knew i just kind of had to keep grinding and um from there i took my first sous chef position which was a three-star new york time restaurant at the time um big big you know, kind of position for me. I was 23 or 20, yeah, 23 maybe, which I would always never be straight on how uh, old I was because I was judged. I mean, I lied about my age for a long time. Um, I took this job with a very, very uh, uh, crazy, well-known chef. And, um, you know, he had the reputation of being a whack job. And, he was brilliant though when it came to food, um, but very difficult to work with. Mm. But food-wise, I learned a tremendous amount from him. Um, you know, he was just kind of like this crazy genius, but um, one of those chefs where you're not a businessman. That's clear. Um, you're a creator, and and that's that's pretty much it. So I learned a lot of what not to do with business, and I learned a lot food-wise. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of continued the climb and I knew that there was still some stuff missing in my resume. So I went to now, I took a chef to cuisine job, more of a corporate structure. And, uh, you know, I was maybe 25 and I got a, you know, this head chef position for like a $14 million a year restaurant in a big restaurant group. And, um, that taught me how to manage because, they hired me to be like the young talent food wise. Um, and then I learned how to manage their people, costs, etc. Um, so that was, that was a great thing. And then, um, you know, the corporate structure for, for like that is really not for me, you know, too many steps along the way. And I'm a very kind of like, if I, if I think something, I got to do it. You know, if I have to sit on it for a week to get an okay or something like that, it's it's just not me and it doesn't work. I got you. Um, so after, you know, a good amount of time there, I left and I took on my first executive chef role in, in 2008 at Fresh in Tribeca, which was a two-star New York Times fine dining seafood restaurant, like my dream. I mean, I was – writing menus every day, wow. flying fish in for, from all over the world. Um, we were getting ready to uh, be re-reviewed by the New York Times. Um, super exciting time. I mean, I was, I was on the line every day with my guys and literally coming in, writing menus, going upstairs, prepping them, working service. It was awesome. Um, you know, it was kind of my dream job and it was going well. You know, this was my first executive chef position and it was going very well um and then just like that overnight the stock market crash hit and oh, us man. being in tribeca yeah 
us being down there um, with so many corporate accounts and it hit us hard, really, really, really hard. And um, there was just new ownership in the restaurant from when I came aboard. And, um, you know, they they pulled me out of the restaurant and said, look, you know, here's the deal. We think you're amazing. Um, but we just got into this venture. We put in a lot of money and we're we're not going to, you know, wait this out um, and, you know, see if we can get our money back or not. We're just going to sell now. And I was like, what? I mean, I was like, I left this corporate job. And oh, I was man. like, oh, my God. Like, are you kidding me? My team there were such an amazing group of people that they were like, you know, you know, chef, we we love working with you and we want to work with you. And, you know, I said, look, you know, if you guys can wait, I'll find something. And when I do, you know, I'll give you guys an opportunity. And I remember, I mean, I was living in uh, – in Park Slope at the time in Brooklyn and a bunch of my guys, they were living in Sunset Park and I got the job offer and I said, you know, oh, let's all meet at this restaurant. We uh, made, uh, met at this Mexican restaurant in Sunset Park, you know, had some beers and some food and I was like, look, you know, I, I got this position. The restaurant is, you know, we're going to have to go in there and basically, you know, start over while it's running but uh, are you guys with me? And they were all like, yeah. So that was it. I took on my start date and I started um, Delicatessen October, I think, 26th in 2008. And at that time, it was like really in shambles and had my work cut out for me. Beautiful. Man, I got to just go over a few things. Uh, you're doing your thing, taking us on this journey. And some things really stood out to me. First, uh, the power of goal setting. Can you remember those goals when you made them like you can reflect back like what were those goals uh yeah totally i mean the first the first one was just the financial aspect of it because i was like wow um you know i've done all this work you know i did the schooling the internships you know my internship was through september 11th which was a crazy time and all the crazy work and hours and I was like, I can't survive like this. Like, mm. I can't be a line jockey making this little bit of money. You know, based, my life was wake up, go to work, and, you know, take a long-ass train ride home. Like, no way. I can't do this. So the very first goal was just to be like, okay, within this amount of time, I don't remember what the financial goal was, was that I need to make enough money to, like, somewhat live a normal life, mm -hmm. kind of. And a normal life is just – you know, going grocery shopping and, and going out to a bar with your friends, you know, like that was normal life. Then the next goal was that, again, I mean, uh, a line cook in New York City is a very hard job. It's now I always enjoyed it. I get a thrill out of, you know, being in the shit. It was, <laughs> you know, you really do, you know, especially when you make it and, and, the, and the night's flowing. It's a great feeling. And that's why a lot of people, you know, love it but it's it's a hard job it's hard on you so i was like i can't i can't be one of these guys that do this for 15 years or whatever you know so the goal was you know after i left um john george and i was at the four seasons i was like i got to give myself two more years and i need to kind of get into sous chef role because i mean without sounding arrogant i i cooked with a lot of great people 
and I knew I was very good. Mm. Um, and I was young then and I was crazy and I had a bad attitude and the chefs even put up with it because I was that anchor <laughs> on the line. I was very good. So I knew that I was like, if I, if I don't, you know, get out of this within two years, at this point I had been cooking for, I don't know, three years in the city. I was like, if I don't get out of this, I, you know, I'm just holding myself back. And I set that goal of like two years, I need to land the real sous chef job. And I wasn't going to go and take it at like a crappy place. So when the opportunity to go um, to my first sous chef position, working with that chef and, you know, highly acclaimed restaurant, I was like, wow, you know, this, this kind of seems like it's fitting. So that was the, that was the first goal of the two year goal of sous chef. And then from that point on, I was like, within the next five years, I need to be the person in charge running, running my establishment because I knew I was good at being a sous chef also. You know, I try to tell my sous chefs now, I'm like, I was the guy that was the jerk. I was the guy that had enforced the law all the time as the sous chef. And the chef had a great life. And I was like, now I want to back away. I want to, I want to be the nice guy. And it's your guy's you know, role to enforce the law around here. Mm. So that was, you know, my mindset and that was, you know, I think my skill is, is good enough. And I know, you know, my management is, and, you know, growing up in like a conservative Italian family where we didn't never wasted anything or anything like that. I was like, I I can run a business, you know, I, I know I can do it. Yeah. You know, the other huge thing just from that is the, the value of goals, become, you know, exponential when you give yourself deadlines. You didn't say I'm going to make more money so I can live a certain lifestyle which will allow me to be sane. You said in 2 years. I've got 2 years to do this. Uh, and, and like when you do that like you you make that mental picture you're running out of time. It keeps you on track. And then in 5 years I'm going to be managing my own restaurant. I'm going to be in control. And when you do that you start living intentionally. And that brings me to the next point that I wanted to point out points out is that you were always learning every job wasn't about necessarily just the money but what am I going to learn from this experience you know you had the the you were learning about service when you're at the hotel the value of service and then with your corporate job you learned about management and then you learned from working with that other guy how you didn't want to be about respect and <laughs> yeah. appreciating the people and you squeeze this all in you're living intentionally for that six years and the power of living intentionally is so just amazing it gets you places so much faster and if yeah. you're just a beautiful example of that and i want to kind of just you know fast forward now um to this time where uh you kind of you know shit hit the fan and now you got all these people you're responsible for but here's the thing i thought was amazing about that you weren't necessarily responsible for them but you chose to be and how how that ended up serving you now you 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 attack this new restaurant delicatessen with a team of people you've already worked with and you flip that bitch around. Uh, and like, would you have been able to do it without these people? Do you think? Uh, no, I mean, probably not because it was so difficult. I tell you, like, you know, we walked in there and the place was busy already. You know, it had a huge hype to the opening. I mean, we had things like, you know, our opening party, Terry Richardson was shot it and that, you know, makes up the pictures and the menus and the bathrooms when people come on that they, you know, recognize so much from our restaurant. It was a big deal, this opening yeah. and it failed miserably, really bad. Wow. And, uh, it, but it was still busy because there was still a lot of people 
trying the restaurant. This was only about four months in. And we walk in, and when I tell you it was a disaster, I, I've never encountered anything. You know, <laughs> even my bar rescue, uh, you know, experiences, <laughs> I haven't seen staff like this really. I mean, people were sitting down on crates on the line on their what? cell phones. Um, I mean, it was it was crazy, and there was no organization. I, it was bad. It was bad. The quality of food was really bad all around. And I was like, "Oh my god! Like, what did I get myself into here?" You know, Chef. I want to dive into this further, but I feel like there's a bunch we we can still learn from you uh, before this point. Um, and first, before I go there, just need to put the emphasis when when you make things about other people and you and you choose to take care of other people first you don't expect to get from other people but you choose to give to other people you just that the power of just giving a fuck about other people will always serve you in the long run um so i don't want to just skim over that that thought of you making sure you brought this team with you and that it was your responsibility to to make sure they had a, a job during this hard time so just want to put oh, more yeah. emphasis on that um you know go ahead and some of those guys, let me see, four of them now of the original 10 cooks or whatever, you know, eight and a half years later still work for me. Um, my kind of lead cook is now my executive sous wow. chef. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and it's funny now they're, they're so used to me. And, you know, when new people come aboard and they're nervous about things or whatever, me and my sous chefs now and my cooks have been with me for so many years just kind of laugh about it. And I'm like, you know, guys, can you imagine? Tell this guy about how I was eight and a half years ago <laughs> and how I would have reacted then. And they just laugh and shake their head. Um, but, I mean, yeah, ama amazing team. And you know what? Unfortunately, it's very hard to come by these mm -hmm. days. It's very hard. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. Um when you approached the delicatessen, uh, how did that all go down? I mean, I think that would be a really great conversation because so many people who are listening to us are pretty much at that point in their life right now where they want to own their own place. They're looking for opportunities. So how did you go about doing that and how did you pull it off? How did you make it work? Um, well, you know, I, I was scrambling after losing the, this last job mm -hmm. at Fresh um, and didn't really know what I was going to do. So I started working with um, like a headhunter and back then, there wasn't these different agencies that, you know, you'd call and put me out there because there was there was uh, not enough jobs for the talent. So everyone's fighting. And mm. New York City was, you know, very bountiful with, with talent. I mean, there was the best guys in, in the country cooking in New York City. So to land a legitimate job was way different than now. Mm. Now there's not enough talent. So, you know, people take anyone. But then was very hard. So this guy who I was working with, um, I remember he called me and was like, hey, Mike, because uh, I had reached out to him maybe two years before and he never returned my call. Mm -hmm. And he called me and he said, hey, I just read about Fresh. Um, you've been on my radar. Um, you know, now you're ready and we can work together. You know, sorry, you know, I didn't get back to you before. I just didn't think you were ready for some of the positions that, you know, I, I can offer. So he was like, um, you know, I want you to meet with these guys at Delcatessen. Have you heard of it? And I was like, yes. Um, they got his <laughs> review. It's a nightmare. And he's like, look. He's like, the place is amazing. I want you to just go look into it. Be open-minded about it. So I said, okay. I remember I took the meeting there. My now partner walked me through the restaurant. 
and I was like, wow, this place is gorgeous. Like I just felt the energy of the place. And I was like, wow, like this, this place can be amazing. We walked quickly through the kitchen in and out. He got me out of there. He told me the situation and I said, look, you know, I've been, you know, kind of reading up on the place. I heard about it. And funny enough, like the week before fresh closed, a runner came in from Delhi and was like applying for a job and I turned him down and I was like, this is a different kind of establishment than, than where you work right now. Sorry. And here I was walking through ready to, you know, take this place over. I was like, wow. I mean, how ironic is this? <laughs> so, uh, you know, they had a bad reputation and I did the tasting and, you know, they were like, we want to take you on and huge gamble on, on their part. I mean, this was a multi-million dollar build out, you know, a lot of investors money. There was a lot on the line here. And these guys, you know, for some reason put their faith in me and I was like, okay, so this is what has to change is that no more of this modely bullshit and, you know, this, you know, kind of like, you know, look of the, the glamour of the place. I was like, this is going to become, you know, an approachable because I knew it was something different. I was like, this is going to become an, an approachable chef driven restaurant within time. And I need to hire who I need to hire in order to make that happen. And, and that started immediately. I mean, we had all the model waitresses or whatever. And I remember, you know, first couple services, they were a nightmare. It was like punishment every day. It was so difficult <sighs> To, to try to do the simplest things at service. And, you know, some girl comes back in the kitchen and grabs a salad and walks away. And I go, excuse me, wh what are you doing? And she's like, I need this for my table. And I'm like, excuse me? She's like, I need this for my table and try to walk away again. And I was like, put the salad down and get out of the restaurant. And she looked at me and I was like, get out of the restaurant now. Because <laughs> they were so used to just, you know, chaos and just started one by one, you know, kind of hiring new people, you know, from their day one, instilling, you know, a new set of standards and how are we going to run this restaurant? Yeah. And, uh, it took a long time, but Man, uh, there's just so much value here. Like this hidden, uh, you know, like I, it's all like just right there. And just kind of what I'm thinking about right now is. First, you became a person of value. And I feel like so often we try to go into a restaurant situation and just, you know, think that we can just pull it off. And if you focus on becoming a person of value like you did, you created opportunities for yourself. This guy saw that there was, you know, the, the gentleman who, who reached out to you to come into the delicatessen uh, saw that there was potential in you. He, he knew you just wanted a little more experience. So you, you got that experience. You became more valuable. And now you were an asset. Uh, don't go looking for opportunities if you're not an asset. Become an asset first. Become a person of value. You did that. Absolutely. And the other thing too, getting all this experience, you were able to get to this restaurant and recognize it was all effed up and you knew what perfect looked like. You knew what excellence could be and you had that picture of perfection to aim for. Um, so how, what, I mean, it sounds like ultimately there was an issue with culture at this restaurant when you got there um, and you started right away with replacing and getting new people in there that who got it, who understood, who had the, the right attitude. So, I mean, kind of elaborate on what people can do if they're in this situation, what you need to do to flip a restaurant, to, to change it, to, to give it a new reputation, to, to change the culture. Well, you know, I, I see it a lot with my own management and people in the industry. A lot of people are content with, mediocre or below because it's 
easier. Mm. It's less stressful. It is. You know, you put up with someone's crap that you're like, eh, that's a lot easier to do than actually, you know, replacing and training or me doing the work myself. And at this point, I was like, I have no choice here because I was on this rise at Fresh as this, you know, young up and comer and whatever. And then as soon as I took over Delicatessen, you know, the press started coming after me because this was a place that got zero stars six months ago i was a young up-and-comer you know to look out for and now i took over this restaurant that everyone hated so i was like this is my career on the line because if this place closes it's my name on it. it's not my mm. doing but it's my name on it if it closes immediately so you know it was definitely you know don't be scared and do what you have to do. I mean, don't do do things, you know, just out of, you know, pure craziness, no, 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 which I have, trust me, you know, just, you know, I've been there. But if you know it's the right, if it's the right move and you know what you have to do, you got to do whatever you have to do to get there. And that was kind of my mindset, you know, going in there and that, okay, when I come and greet you for the first time, you know I'm the new chef here and you give me this piece of crap look on your face and kind of, you know, smug and turn your head. I know that your attitude isn't that I'm going to be the ideal employer, uh, employee and do my best for you in this place. I know that right off the bat. And I mean, I'll tell you, my very first day was crazy there. I mean, <laughs> I walked in and, you know, basically the owners threw me in there and just sat back and watched and I had people that were like, Chef, we're going to leave the line, and they never came back. So I was like re replacing them with my guys who, can you imagine, we have no idea what the menu is. We just walked in here, and now we're in lunch service. Can you imagine this? <laughs> I mean, disaster. And then finally at the end of lunch service, it was so bad. I got everyone together, and I was like, look, I was like, I'm new. Things are going to change tremendously here, okay? If you're on board, fine. You're welcome. If you're not get the fuck out right now. I was like, don't even, don't even, let's not go through this immediately. Like right there, like three people just said, okay, nice to meet you and walked away. Wow. And I was like, okay, who's next? The sous chef that was there at the time went downstairs. She didn't even tell me she went downstairs, got changed, got her stuff and left. I went downstairs. I'm like, um, where's so-and-so where's so-and-so. Oh, she left. She left. Yeah. She got all her stuff and she left. I was like, Wow. Man. So I was like, all right, this is where we're at. And, you know, it just full forward until you catch your ground because it was very, very shaky, very. So just keep going until things got stable. And then once things got stable, was able to change things more. Yeah. But I mean, just the power of getting everybody who was on your team, on your team. And even if you're losing some manpower, if they're not pulling in the same direction, they're, they're not going to get you to where you need to be. So just having, just understanding that and knowing that like, if you're not pulling in the same direction, you're, you're just dead weight. And let me exactly. know now before I waste more time with you. Um, yeah. Just a valuable lesson in that. And I'm curious, um, Oh man, there's so much I want to talk about. We only have so <laughs> much time. Uh, this one thing I love about this, uh, is something that comes up on the show, which is treat it like you own it. And um, you yeah. didn't own this restaurant at the time. You were just the executive chef, but you owned your reputation. And I think yeah. we can all think about that. Um, we always own our own reputation. So 
if you don't own the restaurant, know that that restaurant is a, is a reflection of who you are. You own your reputation and it's going to, that will be your leverage to, to one day own your own restaurant. So let's talk about this transition from now you are a partner. So how did that come on? To, how did that opportunity present itself to you? Um, you know what? I just want to go back quick. I still say that to this day, Eric, I tell people that when I pumped gas at, you know, 16 years old and I, you know, I, I've been working since I was 11 with a paper out and all this stuff. I used to pump the gas like it was my place. Check the oil, <laughs> clean the windows, pump the gas, you know, and, you know, yes, you were working for that, you know, if you were lucky, dollar tip. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you want to be successful, you know, rather than just thinking that I'm owed this, you know, whatever you are, if you're the busser, if you're the line cook, take that pride on as if it was yours. Mm. And eventually one day it will. I love it. Awesome. So yeah, eventually one day it was yours. So how did that happen? How did that go down? Um, so, you know, my, my partner now partners at that time, the, the two principal owners of the restaurant, you know, we had been talking about expansion for a while, but you know, there were a lot of investors involved and, um, you know, it, especially to do a space like ours. I mean, we won best new design restaurant in the world in 2009. And, um, to do build outs like that takes a lot of money. They had some rocky relationships with investors, which kind of stunted the growth of expansion. So I got approached by these, uh, uh, real estate guys who, you know, wanted to go into hospitality and they were like, look, we have prime locations I mean, we were talking at the time that's still great. I mean, meatpacking, Lower East Side, I mean, really prime, prime um, uh, locations. And they were like, look, we'll bring you aboard. Um, you'll be, you know, an owner in the group. And we want you to be the front man to, you know, roll out these different operations in our, in our buildings. So it was a great opportunity. So basically, I made up my mind, told my uh, bosses. And I said, look, you know, I'm going to go. One of them was like, okay, you know, I know, you know, kind of saw it coming, you know, because at this point, you know, a lot, it's got a lot of different kind of credentials, you know, a lot of, you know, press, etc. Um, so, um, I said, I'm going to go. And they said, all right. And I said, look, you know, um, I care about this place tremendously. Um, you know, I, I got to basically hire my replacement because, I don't want you guys to hire someone and it'd be a disaster and this place come crumbling down, you know? So literally like I was interviewing, I had job offers out for people, um, to replace me. And, um, my, the other, the other partner came to me and was like, we don't want you to leave. And I'm like, well, I know, I, I, I know, but whatever it is, what it is. So he's like, we'll make you a partner in the business if you stay. And I was like, look, man, this is like the bottom of the ninth here. Like <laughs> I already spent thousands of dollars in, you know, uh, with attorneys, you know, going over paperwork and agreements and all kinds of stuff. And he was like, you know, we'll give you that money back and you know, we want you to stay. And I said, look, you have a turnaround time of like two days to get me, um, you know, some sort of an agreement. And, uh, you know, they were like, look, I mean, you've been with us a long time. Trust us that, you know, if we tell you this, we'll, we'll provide that agreement for you. Um, but we want you to stay. And I have a great relationship with these guys. 
at that point, <clears throat> I've really grown to care about the place a lot. Um, it felt like home, and uh, I decided to stay aboard. Yeah. And then that's how that's how I became uh, an owner there too. Man, just that just shows what happens if you treat it like you own it. If if you become so vital to that operation that if you remove, you're the linchpin. If you remove that pin, it all comes crumbling apart. Uh, you will create opportunities for yourself, uh, but you have to become valuable. Uh, beautiful example. And um, now you own two restaurants. So uh, what's it like now? How is that transition from you opening Mac bar? Um, they had the space next door. They had an idea. Um, but basically the execution of the first place was a disaster. So they were like, you know, how, how soon do you think you can get another concept open here? And I was like, look, I mean, it took, you know, about six months just to get stable. So I was like, you know, give me another six months to kind of work on things and, you know, we'll think about it then. Um, and then that was just another thing, you know, you know, I was really nervous about it because I was extremely busy trying to deal with the first place that still needed so much care and attention that I was like, okay, I got to get past this, like trying to, you know, hold this off, get more time. I need to move past that. I just need to just do this. Okay, real quick, I'm I'm just curious, and I have, I apologize for interrupting. Uh, did you get offered a partnership opportunity before or after opening MacBar? After. Okay, so you had already opened MacBar. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry, just want to make sure. Um, yeah. All right. So take it away. Sorry, I interrupted your flow. No problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I was just like, you know what? I got to stop trying to postpone this. Like even if I had postponed another three months, is it going to make a big difference? So that was it. Put my head down, you know, started working and uh, gave them an opening date. <laughs> and that's one of those things. Once you, once you dive in, you know, that's it. You give them the date, you know, the, all the publicists, everybody knows the date of the opening. You're in for it. Yeah. Then. That's it. <laughs> and then there at that point it was like, okay, this is it. I'm fully committed to this. I got to make sure that this goes. And, uh, that was it. The, the rest, we opened it up and, um, you know, it's one of those places it's, you know, just day in and day out. It's, it's working, it's working. It's, um, you know, the, the toughest part about it is, is, you know, it's a fast casual place, you know, to get people, you know, who good counter service people who actually care is tough. You know, I always, I always think about, uh, every time I go to the West coast, I eat at in and out and I love it. the product is great. The burger's delicious. And I'm like, man, these kids that work here are just so you could tell they're great employees. Mm. You could, they're just so friendly. They, they genuinely care. They got to wear that hat. I'm like, you know, th these guys are ideal. And, um, it, it's tough. New York city is tough, you know, for someone to take a job like right above minimum wage in New York city, usually they're traveling someplace for, you know, from, you know, other boroughs and stuff to come and take this job. So that's the most difficult part of like a fast casual concept is because there's no, you know, manager on the floor the whole time or something like that. You have the counter person and you know, you can get the ones that are amazing and go above and beyond or the ones that are like, I don't really give a shit about this. Like, I'm just here for the paycheck. So there's, so that's <laughs> there's three things I want to cover before I move to the speed round. And it's your birthday, so I'm going to try to bust through this because <laughs> I want to respect your time. Uh, one is, um, I mean, you travel the world. You go to all these incredible places. You still are a partner in these. You're pretty much managing these two locations. Uh, how do you, the second thing is, how do you, 
create that culture of people caring. And the third thing is we got to get a quick failure at a time you fell hard on your ass uh, and what you learned from that failure. So start with how you are able to take on all these opportunities to show up on TV, to, to, to travel the world, how you got all these things going on while still being, you know, having two successful restaurants running without you. You know, it's, um, it's difficult for sure. And the, the part that hurts me the most is that I know that when I'm not present at the restaurant, things are a little bit different and that, that bothers me a lot. Um, you know, I have a lot of great people working for me, but the staff looks at me in a different way. I mean, literally everybody who comes in and takes a job there, the first thing they do is they go online and, uh, they read about you Mm. and they get this story. So I think even just coming in now they have, you know, kind of a mindset of like, well, I watched this guy and some of his stuff on TV seems pretty serious. I read about this stuff. So now they have a mindset of like, okay, I got to do the right thing. Um, so I try not to take on as much as I used to, you know, trust me, my late twenties, early 30, I was, I mean, I was everywhere. I, I, my, my schedule was so booked that I used to look at it at nighttime and be like, okay, I just got to focus on the next two days and then the next two days and then the next two days. I cannot look ahead because it's going to, I'm going to go crazy. I just need to make sure that I get through this and then that one, and then I'll go on from there. And, um, so now it's more for me. I'm not as nervous about the leaving the restaurant as I used to be. Um, you know, I, I very firm believer of the show always goes on in a restaurant and I have good people there. So, you know, you have to release, you know, that, that uh, trust to them and you got to release the power to them and hope that they're, they're going to do the right thing. And there are times that they're not and it's just going to happen. It is what it is, you know. I mean, last night we had um, Tim Ryan, uh, president of the CIA. I didn't even know. His wife messaged me on Facebook and was like, hey, chef, uh, Tim and I are going to come in for dinner tonight. We'd love for you to say hello. It's Tim's first time at the restaurant. I wasn't there. I had no idea. I saw this last night late. I said, oh, Tim Ryan, the president of the CIA, is at Delhi tonight. I hope all went well. It went well. They had a great time. Um, and I was like, well, you know, that makes me feel good. I wasn't there. I didn't know they were coming. And they had a great time. So that, that makes me feel good. Awesome. And I think you kind of, you know, answered both my questions with how how you are able to not be at your restaurant, but still have that right culture. And it's people will, I mean, you're only going to attract onto yourself people that are as good as you are. So if you want great people, focus on becoming a great person, building that reputation. And if you can, if you can attract onto yourself greatness by becoming great, then it makes it that much easier. And I think that kind yeah. of serves both of those questions. And just real quick, chef, share a time with us. You fell hard on your ass. Um, I would say probably the time that was, was hardest for me is that I touched on it earlier was when I failed that practical twice at the CIA. Mm-hmm. That was a really difficult time and being a young person and just kind of lost on, on where you, where you might go on your future, um, it is a really, really difficult one. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm very lucky that, you know, I got out of that rut because it could have went in a, in a, in a total, total, uh, different direction. 
Um, so I touched, I touched on that one um, before. Um, so real quick on that, we can just focus on that. Um, if somebody's in that rut, if they're, if they just fell hard on their ass and they failed at something, how, how do you get back up? You know, you just, you just have to, you got to accept it, you know, and you got to accept it and know what you're going to do, you know, to change it. And it's very hard when you're down and out, it's very hard to get back up on your feet. Um, the thing is you just have to push through it. It's like a breakup, you know, you think it's going to be the end of the world (laughs) and I'm going to die. And then you're like, well, you know what? Life goes on. Mm -hmm. You kind of look at it things in the realm of life and you're like okay where is this in my life yes it's a it's a you know pinnacle point but what is this going to be in the large picture for me and either it's going to be the failure that took you down or the failure that brought you up Mm. they could be two different ways and if you believe that this is going to be the failure that brings me up and then that's the mindset you have to do if you have the mindset of this was the failure that took me down that's going to be, that's going to be, that's going to be your destiny. And uh, yeah. Awesome stuff. We're going to take a quick break chef to thank our sponsors and then we'll be right back. All right. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. (laughs) But what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable we're back and the first question i have for you chef is what is your it factor habit trait characteristic you believe most contributes to your success uh hard work 
hard work and integrity. Um, you know, you don't get anywhere without working for it. And <clears throat> however hard you think you have to work to get there, you probably have to work harder to actually do it. Um, so that that's the number one. And uh, integrity, you know, for me, I've never changed who I was, uh, what I believed in. Um, the, you know, I never compromised on something. Um, I kept my own integrity very high and I really didn't care if it got me what I was looking for or not. Because at the end of the day, I feel like if I went against my integrity to get something, I would ultimately be unhappy because of that. So I never, never, uh, went away from, you know, my own personal integrity. Beautiful. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, my biggest weakness, probably my emotions. Um, I am in a passionate Italian, uh, you know, very caring, very crazy. Um, and I've had to learn over the years that, and I'm still, still haven't mastered it that, you know, when something sparks an emotion in me to think about it for a second, you know, even if I'm ripping mad about it to try not to react or respond immediately. And, um, it's funny. I've seen, I had employees that are like how I used to be and will react so quickly and irrationally over text message or email. Thank God back then when I was really crazy, <laughs> when there was not really that much email or text messaging for me to get in touch with my boss. Um, but you know, emotions and passion fuels greatness, but it can also consume you. And, um, for you just to, the more you can have that under control and channel it, you know, kind of like the, the ultimate goal is of course the Eric Ropair Zen, you know, that's the ultimate goal, but to kind of channel those emotions and, and, and passion rather than, you know, them holding you back or you saying something that you shouldn't have said or acted in a way that you shouldn't have. Beautiful. And yeah, emotions are such a powerful tool to work either for you or against you. In industry, like you said, and uh, if you want to learn more about emotional intelligence and how your brain works, because uh, once you understand how something works, you can control it like anything else, like any machine, when you understand it, you can have way more control over it. And uh, Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman is a book that I think is a must read for everybody just to understand how that part of the brain works, to get control over it and to put it to work for you, really. Um, so awesome stuff. Awesome. Thanks cool. for going there. And uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Um, lead by example. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard to um, lead people the right way if they don't see it in you. So if someone's asking you to do something or, um, you know, perform in a certain way and you don't believe in that person, it's never going to work. I mean, I still to this day do overnight cleans with my, with my crew. I just three weeks ago, um, I was like, you know, I haven't done an overnight clean in a while. Me, about 18, the guys from the kitchen, uh, come in about uh, 10 o'clock at night. We work all through the night get pizzas at three o'clock in the morning, finish up about six 30 in the morning. You know, I'm down there, you know, clean with them, cleaning the condensers in the refrigerators and et cetera. And they are, uh, they see that, Oh wow. You know, 
this guy, look at this guy. He's here overnight with us, dirty and, you know, cleaning, and he doesn't have to be. And uh, I've done that all through the years. As, as, as long as I'm capable to do it, I'll do it. What, and, what's um, the one message that that sends to your people? Um, exa- I mean, exactly that. Lead by example that if the boss does it, I can do it. Mm. And, you know, usually when, you know, you get the person just going barking orders, the person's like, eh, screw you, whatever. <laughs> but when the person sees, okay, my boss is doing this, that he's down here doing it with me. I can do it too. This is my job. I have to do this. Awesome. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when surrounding yourself with amazing people? Um, honesty. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of crazy the people who you encounter over the years and through my years and I've encountered a lot of super interesting people, um, you know, through my career and friends of friends, um, people who I can learn from, people who I respect and people who are honest. Um, those are big things for me. If I can't respect you, you know, I don't, I don't really want to be surrounded by you. If I think you're not honest, it's, it's, it's just not going to work out. Mm. Um, and then of course people who you can learn from, um, you know, I, I love having conversations with people who are older than I am and, you know, have been in different industries and, you know, I've uh, really, really made it to a level of extreme success. And just to be like, you know, how did this happen? And, you know, what about this? And, you know, and the stories along the way and the behind the scenes stories are always the best. Um, the ones that they're saying like, man, on that night, this happened. And, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. and it, it just kind of inspires you. Um, and then, you know, laughter. I mean, uh, yesterday I went home to Connecticut and my best friends who have been my best friends for over 20 years, it's like nothing ever changed. We went to John George's restaurant in, um, in pound Ridge and had, you know, epic brunch there. We were there for four hours drinking, laughing the entire time. Um, you know, just people who you enjoy their company and great sense of humor. Awesome. Uh, what is a current challenge chef and how are you overcoming it? Um, well, let's see. I would say, you know, I'm at the point in my career now that it's what is the next big step for me? And, you know, I've been in New York a very long time now. My family's in the area. Um, you know, I thought about different ventures in different places. It's the question of what's next for me. What's next? And I know that, you know, I kind of, for me, starting out at such a young age in this industry um, and doing so much, you know, even before the age of 30 or before the age of 35, I've done so much that I can continue on with that stuff, of course. You know, the, you know, partnerships and you know, food festivals and yada, yada. But now I'm 36 today and I say to myself, what is the next big move for Michael Ferraro? What is going to be the next move for me? And um, there's a few, you know, kind of in the air of what I want to pursue, but um, none of them being that I need to do this in the next two years yet, mm-hmm. yet. So that is the, the biggest kind of challenge of what I got going on. Now uh, I'm curious, man, what's next for you? What do you want to do if you could do anything? Uh, you know, 
doing business in New York City changed so much. If you would ask me this five years ago, it would have been to have multiple multiple restaurants in New York City and manage them and, you know, kind of, you know, I love business. I love doing business. And um, it's changed so much. The cost of doing business in New York City. I actually mean John Taffer talk about this. Every time we do a shoot together, he asked me, like, How, how's New York again? It's getting crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It is. The cost to do a business here is tremendous. So um, that is no longer, you know, my goal. Um, I love Charlotte, North Carolina. I've taken a lot of meetings down there. Um, that was a potential that if I said to myself, hey, look, you know, if I make this move and change my life, this is a place where I can go and the cost of doing business is very different down there than it is in New York. Um, I think the talent down there is a lot uh, different. So, um, you know, that that's kind of uh, on the horizon. Maybe if it's not Charlotte, another city. Um, but, you know, it's one it, you have those you have those moments of, yes, this is it. And I feel like I got a lot of balls in the air and the one didn't really hit yet to, for me to say, yes, that's it for sure. Um so just kind of waiting on <laughs> waiting on that moment. Until then, it. life is good and uh, continue on the path I'm on. Great. What is one thing besides food your restaurants do really well that separates you from other restaurants? Um, we, we have an energy in our restaurant that's amazing. Um, late spring, you know, which we're all dying for here in New York, um, when we open up those doors and put out that uh, cafe furniture, um, even just you see it, people walking by from across the street, even if they never heard of the restaurant before in their life, they'll stop, look, and cross the street and come in. There is this energy to that corner and just the it, – it's a lot goes to the design of the restaurant too. It's like a fresh breath of air. Like that late spring day when it's nice and warm, it's 75 degrees in New York, people are out, your people watching. You walk in that restaurant you're just kind of like, ah, this feels nice. Like, this is great. You know, this makes me want to, you know, sit outside the cafe and have some apps and have a cocktail. Um, so that definitely it's the design, it's the location, it's the staff. There's a lot of things that just create this comfortable feeling to be like, I, I used to always tell people, if this wasn't my restaurant, I would sit at that end of the bar <laughs> at least three times a week. Oh, that's awesome. What is one book that is a must read to become a better person or a restaurant owner? Um, so I think that um, Eric Repair has always been, you know, kind of, I never worked for him. Um, he's always been that guy who I'm like, wow, this guy does it right. And seafood was my thing for, um, a very long time, especially at Fresh. Fresh was called the Baby Laverne Den of Tribeca. And I was like, oh my God, well, wow. Um, so I got his book, A Return to Cooking, um, who knows how many years now, I don't, maybe eight, nine years ago, whenever, as soon as it came out. And it wasn't the traditional cookbook, but it, it showed a different side of like, you know, the three star um, chef. And uh, just to be rooted again in, in cooking and why and how did this happen. And uh, I remember reading that book, whether it was just as I took over Delhi or just as fresh clothes. I don't remember exactly, but I remember kind of the inspiration and the feeling and even just the title of the book, 
a return to cooking to me made a big statement to be like, okay, we got in this, I became a chef, I did this, I did that, but now we're going to return to the reason that mm. brought me all, all of this. It was cooking. Mm. So cool book. Awesome. What is one piece of technology you've adapted in your restaurants uh, that's been influencing operations in a positive way? Social media. <laughs> um, so iPhones, you know, constantly your, your, you know, my assistants, everybody's always on the phone. Um, besides my cook and my staff, no phones are allowed uh, on the floor or in the kitchen. Not a time for that. Um, but to incorporate the kind of, uh, you know, instant emails, et cetera, that leads to, you know, social media because, you know, there was never a time in the kitchen where, wow, this is beautiful. Like, look at this dish going out. My God. Now it's, well, I got to take a picture of that and I'm going to post that up right now instantly. And the world is going to see that and be like, wow, I need to go to that restaurant and have that. Um, and it's just so, you know, you can get the word out about so many things. I do it for charity. I do it for food. And it's just, I never thought it would turn into what it's turned into. I was late to Facebook. I was late to Instagram. I was late to all this stuff. But I'll tell you, um, social media does drive business. Mm -hmm. And as long as you can back up, you know, what you're putting out there, um, it's, it's a positive thing. Yeah. And what's one secret weapon like with social media? One thing that you do that you think is most effective? Um, you know, a lot of people like for me, I would say 80% of my social media and website, if not more, is food itself. And, um, you know, I, I don't I put personal things up too, but the majority is food. And if someone says, well, you know what, I'm going to like this guy's Facebook page. I'm going to like this guy's Instagram or whatever. The initial is he's a chef. I love what he does. That's what I want to see. So people who are not in the kitchen are saying like, what's going on in the kitchen today? What's, what's he making? What's this? What's that? So a lot of mine is, is, is food. It's, it's all about food and that's what people love. Yeah. And the key thing I took away from your social media device is make sure you can back it up. Don't focus so much on doing amazing social media, focus on being amazing. And yeah. then, and then when that happens, Oh, there's so many, there's so many bakers out there. <laughs> yeah. There's so many BS people. It's crazy. Exactly. I look at, you know, you go on Instagram and if you, you know, know someone personally or whatever, and you see the BS and facade story that look at me, you know, I'm a, I'm a superstar now. I'm this, I'm that, blah, blah, blah. constantly gloating and look at me, look at me, look at me. I can't tell you how many people are bullshit and People through social media may look and say, oh, wow, look at this person, blah, blah, blah. Back it up. Yep. Back it up. If you post something that looks unbelievable and it goes viral or something like that or an experience, like, back it up. Someone comes in, it better be good. Like, you know, not this, you know, fake world, which so many people get involved in, of the fake world of social media. Beautiful stuff, Chef. Um, with all the knowledge you have now, Chef, if you could go back to time, uh, say, 2000 and Two, was it when you graduated? Yeah. And give yourself one piece of business advice. What would that be? Um, let's see. I would have probably expanded outside of New York City earlier. Um, I love New York City. I love my business here. Um, there has been over the past, I don't know, you know, 
eight years or so, there's been an explosion of amazing cuisine and places and experiences outside of New York. I still believe New York is the Mecca, but I never thought that this expansion outside of New York City would hit so much. So being ahead of the curve, like in places, you know, that you would never expect, like a Cleveland or something like that, to now be, you know, a food destination. If you were really ahead of that curve and saw that vision ahead of time, there was there was uh, a lot of prosperity could have could have came out of it. Heard that. So is there anything I could have asked you? Any questions you think could have provided more value to this interview, Chef? Um you know the I, I love the basis of your program. Thank you. Um, I the number one, I think I would say that it's a concern for me in the restaurant industry is that young people coming into it, the the level of entitlement um, that usually, I mean, I think it comes through like TV and you know, I tell people like, look, I do TV. You know, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite about it, but. I worked first. I was a cook first. I was a chef first. I'm still a chef first all the time. I always tell people that in any show, anything like that, I'm always a cook first. And the level of entitlement that's coming out of, you know, a lot of young people in this industry, they expect things so fast, so fast. Forget about two-year, five-year goals. They're talking two- or five-month goals. And I think, you know, I always tell people that I refuse to be a part of the problem. So when people come with these outrageous demands of what they're entitled to and why, I'm like, it's not going to work. You know, I, I refuse to be a part of this problem. And I think that just in general that people need to realize that there is no instant gratification. There's no instant success or anything like that. You need to put your time in and you need to work. Mm-hmm. And um, just as, you know, a a society and you know as americans we need to get back to we want something you you work for it and you need to really know how long it's going to take you can't be this i want to do i want it right now and that's a problem that definitely is in in new york city and i hear it across the board from the best chefs that i know and the most famous ones have problem you know getting talent that is willing to put in the time like this is something that takes time. It's something that grows and continues to grow. And, you know, it's just, it's not an instant thing. Mm. I have nothing to add to that. Uh, great stuff. And we wrap up every episode, Chef, by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. John Taffer called you out. Thank you, John, for calling Chef Michael out. And now it's your turn, Chef. Who's somebody you admire in this industry and think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you've been for us today? Um, my shout out is going to go to a guy. Hopefully you can understand him and you can get went during the interview. Um, Francois Payard is one of the best pastry chefs, uh, in the country, in the world. Um, he is just the most happy, jolly, funny, talented guy, um, out there. Um, I've been lucky to, have him as a friend for many years now. And, you know, even the first time I met him, I was kind of like, wow, this is Francois Payard. And we were doing an event together and just an unbelievable guy that's been through a lot and came from the, you know, the old school upbringing, the old school French, and he's still doing his thing today. Uh, Francois Payard, he's an unbelievable guy. 
Francois, look out. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know if they want to check you out, if they want to maybe come work for you in one of your restaurants, what's the best way to connect? Um, so I try to keep things very easy. So chefmichaelnyc.com. My Instagram is chefmichaelnyc. My Facebook fan page is chefmichaelnyc as well as Twitter. Um, so either Instagram, website, um, for people who are into travel, um, my website is not just food. It's not just, uh, you know, about the restaurants and things I do. I love to write about travel and I think travel is such an important thing for people to experience. And even if you don't have the money to take the big trips, take little ones and kind of build on them because you learn so much by other cultures and other people and especially when it comes to food. Just it's endless knowledge. It is endless. You'll never experience it all. But uh, my website has not all but a good amount of my travel. And every time I travel somewhere and I, I get um, – you know that, that place had made an impression on me, I write about it on my website. Awesome. So check and it out. I'll have that link to your website, to your social media handles in the show notes, as well as a summary of today's discussion. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 314. You'll find all the links right there. This is episode 314. Chef Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey with us, to share your advice with us, your mentorship with us. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable and i almost forgot to say happy birthday man we appreciate thank you, you. <laughs> thank you Eric. take care buddy cheers there's another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable a great conversation with chef michael and i think you could all agree with me that uh, what really stood out today is this idea of just putting in the work developing yourself becoming a person of value and if you focus on yourself learning new things, developing yourself as a person and a professional, you will become valuable and you are an asset to somebody. So if you're trying to go find investors, go get the experience. Be somebody somebody wants to invest in. Uh, and Chef Michael is a beautiful example of that. Uh, what happened when he was going to leave this restaurant group? They were like, shit, our world will, will crumble around us if we lose this guy. Uh, and that gave him leveraging power. So don't focus on being big as soon as possible. Focus on going inward. Focus on being someone who is just an incredible person, not just as a professional, but as a human being. Look what he did for his people. He was in a situation where the market crumbled around him. He was without a job, not because of what he did, but because of the market he was in his situation. Uh, and he took care of all the people he was working with. He said, "Hey guys, I'm responsible for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a solution. Give me some time. I'll find a solution." He went to New York City. He got that solution, uh, and he had all these incredible people come with him to open the delicatessen, or to not open, but to take over the delicatessen. And eight years later, many of these people are still with him. Meanwhile, I hear all the time that it's impossible to find good people. Is it impossible to find good people or are you just not worth working for? It, it sounds like a, like a douchey thing to say, but take a long look in the mirror and ask, how can I be better? There's probably something you can do to be better. You guys, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect, but the idea is to show up and be a better version of yourself than you were the day before. If we show up every day doing that pretty soon, you will be a pretty awesome person. 
So, great stuff today. Like always, guys, please do connect with me. I am on social platforms at Eric Cacciatore. That's for Instagram, Snapchat, uh, on Twitter, and on Facebook. You can find me at slash Restaurant Unstoppable and my email, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. And please keep on setting up those one-on-one chats. I love connecting with my listeners. I love hearing your challenges. I don't always have the answer, but I almost always know somebody who does and i'm happy to connect you with somebody in my network uh and if we can't get the answer man we'll we'll do a show around it that's what i'm here for i'm here to serve you this is a this isn't me this isn't about you this is about this is about us as an industry leaning on each other sharing knowledge and growing together so thank you guys so much for sticking around this long until next time peace out